listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have the first part of a three-part series for you that is an absolute bumper series. And in these three episodes as part of our series, we're looking primarily at the multiplier of your business and how to increase it. In order to talk about this, I have on board Mark Johnston from Sherlaw's Group and Nathan Williams from Customer Return. And in these three episodes, we dig into six steps to increase the multiplier of your business, i.e. six steps to increasing the value of your business exponentially. Now, in this episode, which is part one of our three-part series, we investigate what a multiplier is and why you might want to increase it. And we also start with step one, talking about talent, capability, and culture. And then if you would like to, I highly encourage you to come back for our next two episodes, part two and part three of our three-part series, where we run through the other five steps to increasing the multiplier of your business, i.e. your business value. I think this is a really critical topic for businesses. We investigate some really interesting ideas and somewhat easy ways of execution So if you're interested in this topic, then buckle in because here we go for part one of six steps to increasing the multiplier of your business. Wonderful, Mark and Nathan. Firstly, I just wanted to say a very big thank you for joining us on the Deal Room podcast today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Joe. Brilliant. My absolute pleasure. I'm super, super, super excited about today um, talking about increasing the multiplier of your business. but in just six steps, love it, absolutely love it. Every business owner I speak to, well, almost every business owner, um, wants to know how to increase the multiplier of their business, how to increase the value of their business. Um, and maybe what we should do is take one step back and look at why we're talking about the multiplier. But before we do that, I'd just like you to each give um, a really quick um, overview of who you are and what you do, how you work with business. Nathan, over to you. Uh, thanks, Joe. So um, long, long story short, I'm the, uh, the owner and founder of a, a sales consulting business called Customer Return. Uh, and the three things we do are help people pitch their business, um, increase their sales capability, and also get a lot more repeat and referral business. So some of those things are obviously aligned, increasing valuations in a business by increasing things like conversion rates, ability to bring in new clients. And then once they've got those new clients, how to get those repeat and referral sales happening so they've got that reliable, stable, recurring revenue. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fabulous. Okay, wonderful. Thanks, Nathan. And over to you, Mark. Maybe if you can give us a bit of a background. Thanks, Joe. Uh, my name's Mark Johnston from Sherwoods. I'm one of the founders of the company. For the last 20 years, we've had the pleasure and honour of working with SME owners around the world to help them increase 
their share price and the valuation of their companies. Um, and we've done that through a combination of intellectual property processes to increase the share price and a delivery methodology around coaching, not consulting, so that we don't write big, thick reports and say, good luck, we actually get in the trenches with them and help drive that share price growth. Um, and we've had the honour of, as I said, creating about $7 billion worth of share price uh, growth across our businesses. And our average growth is about 220% in the share price over an 18-month period. So, sorry, repeat that. The average um, share price increase you've managed to, ch to achieve, did you say, is how much? 220%. 220% over 18 months. That's phenomenal. Yes. I absolutely love numbers like that, Mark. <laughs> okay, wonderful. So, so let's talk about it. So, of course, the topic today is six steps to increasing the multiplier of your business. But moving one step back for uh, perhaps new listeners to the Deal Room podcast, um, what is the multiplier of a business? Why are we using this terminology? What is it that we're talking about at the moment? Um, well, great question and a great baseline to start. So every SME has a share price. But when you talk to SME owners, they don't actually realise they have a share price and they certainly don't know how to calculate it. And so the share price of the business is its enterprise value um, times the number of, divided by the number of shares. So when we talk about the value of a company, there are two parts that drive that valuation. One is the profit of the business and one is then the multiplier. And so if you have a $3 million profit business, the average multiplier in most industries is three. So that's where the term three times mm. becomes part of the lexicon. So what we have with an SME owner, if you've got $3 million profit times three, you've got a $9 million value business. The mistake that most SME owners make is they spend about 95% of their time trying to drive that profit. Increase revenues, which is of course important, manage costs, and we're taught as business owners to do that. So a lot of our time is driving revenue, managing costs. Well, we haven't been taught and don't know how to spend our time doing is actually in introduce things to drive the multiplier. So our, the six steps to increase your multiplier are designed to increase that multiplier from three to five because it's much more enjoyable for that small business owner and their advisors, their accountants, their lawyers and their financial advisors to actually have a strategy to drive that growth. And just as importantly for people looking to acquire businesses, they actually want to see that there is upside once they've acquired that business. So if we take a typical SME that's got $3 million profit and a multiplier of three, that's an enterprise value of $9 million. Our approach after 18 months is to increase that profit to four and then increase that multiplier from three to five. So the value of the business is now four times five and now 20 million. That's where we're able to generate that 220% upside by getting the SME owners to actually work on the things, the six things, components that drive that multiplier above the industry benchmark. By focusing on that, you're able to get fast compound growth. It's what's called a high growth stock on the stock market. What we need to get our SME owners thinking about is how do I create a high growth share price growth strategy for my own business? because that will create organic growth and look at if you're looking to have your business transaction ready, as we call it, it will allow someone to see that you've actually got ways in which you can create, can create compound growth, which makes your business much more valuable um, and with a de-risking processes underlying that. Absolutely love it. I absolutely love it for so many reasons. I think number one, 
this is such a good conversation to be having right now. So right now where we are, um, we, we probably won't published this for, for a few weeks, but right now we're sitting in the midst of a uh, pandemic um, and businesses are being challenged. Um, many businesses are being challenged in terms of, you know, liquidity and business model as a whole, you know, is the business model that they have mm. something that they will be able to see through after the crisis um, ha has ended. And, you know, some businesses that have fared well, still have a crisis in relation to business model, in relation to the, their ability to have scaled up when the opportunity has been there. So I think there's so many reasons why this discussion that we're having today is massively pertinent um, because businesses, perhaps more than ever, have now the the requirement or the need to step back and really have a bit of a think about their model. And whilst profit may have uh, seeped out the door, particularly, for, you know, for many industries, if we're able to work on the multiplier, then when the profit comes back, then that potentially gives businesses the opportunity for exponential growth out of this period. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when, when we have a thing like COVID, it's just like the GFC 12 years ago. It's essentially a black swan event when the tide goes out. And, you know, when we look at businesses, what accountants, lawyers and advisors will often say is, you know, in a boom period, a lot of businesses can make money. But when there's a stress test in the market, that's when the tide goes out and good businesses come to the fore yeah. and potentially business models that haven't been um, fully aligned and ready for scale get tested and found yeah. out. So the opportunity yeah. is in this downtime rather than playing the victim and thinking, well, the market's just, it is what it is. What smart business owners are doing is actually saying, now's the time to do that strategic activity to increase the multiplier for that exact reason. So that when the market does come back, as you said, that that every dollar of profit is more valuable because if you think about it with the balance sheet, if you have a transactional dollar of revenue, it's worth one on a balance sheet. Whereas if you have recurring revenue on your profit and loss, it's worth three times on the balance sheet. So changing the product mix, opening distribution channels, also addressing some of what we call the one woods, which are those products in the business or those things that are in your business that have served you historically, but you're only continuing to use them because of ego or it's just what you've been doing. So it's a really good point to reassess the business and think, how is the market going to be buying in the next five to 10 years? Where is, where is the most value going to be? And how do I redeploy our scarce resources? Because you know, we do have a lot of SMEs have those scarce resources, so it's even more important. How do we deploy those resources into that high value recurring revenue streams as opposed to the historical um, thing that got us there. That's why we call it the one wood. It's like the golf analogy. A lot of us hit the one wood because we've always been taught to do that, but it's often costing us strokes or costing us other opportunities um, in our business. So thinking about your business differently <laughs> as you I'm glad you explained the analogy, I've and got to say, Mark, because uh, <laughs> not being an avid golfer myself, although I have known to have a, to have a swing, but... <laughs> Got it. Okay, it's a golfing analogy. All right, I'm with you now. <laughs> and just on that, Joe, to, to Mark's point, what I'm seeing a lot of clients reassessing now is, you know, with this new normal, I'll call it moving forward, 
what have they done historically in terms of services or programs that maybe aren't as profitable as others? Um, and where are the markets that have served them best that maybe won't serve them as well moving forward? So in very simplistic terms, what I'm finding a lot of businesses are asking now is, you know, is my message going to be as relevant or my pitch, if you will, is that going to be as relevant moving forward for this new market? Um, have I got the right services or products or, or are there ones I need to pull back from and trim a little bit? Mm. Um, and what's the means of communicating and delivering to that market? be it online, offline, obviously service delivery is going to change if you've got more of a, a service-based business, you know, for, for some businesses. Mm. So if looking at what's the message, who's the market, what's the method of interacting with them. Um, and in the last sort of, uh, you know, two months or so since, you know, COVID has come in, I know this will, will go to air sort of a, a couple of weeks down the track, but, um, you know, an analogy I've heard a couple of times recently is, you know, now people want the, the life raft, not the yacht. In other words, what do they need to keep moving forward that's maybe a slightly lower dollar value sale that keeps keeps them in business, keeps the wheels churning um, before they go back to maybe the dollar values of what they were selling before. So it's a different message. The market's got to be more finely tuned. And uh, I find myself talking to a lot of clients about, you know, who's a market that's um, well-suited to what you've got where you can solve a big problem for them and they've also got some capacity to pay and, and to invest. You know, that's a very practical approach, but that's what I find I'm having a lot of conversations around at the moment. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. All right. So let's go to the six steps then. What are the six steps? Maybe let's start with number one. What's the first one? The first one in the first step in moving the multiplier is talent, capability, and culture. Talent, capability, and culture. What do you mean by that, Mark? So the first way to increase your the value of your share price over a competitor's is if you have a very strong culture. What that means is you've got higher retention of staff, um, therefore less risk in your delivery, greater corporate knowledge. You have much greater ability to attract quality staff and spend less on recruiting because as an SME, we don't have often the opportunity to get the right match of folks into the business. So having that culture and that capability and talent actually increases your loyalty with your staff and therefore you're more valuable than a like-for-like competitor who sells the same product. Mm. And so, of course, you're talking about retention <laughs> the right people. <laughs> but, uh, and, and, and of course, first you have to understand who the right people are um, and, and I'm sure that's talent capability. And part of that, it's a, it's a very important, it's a great question you've asked there because, you know, we've never met a client that doesn't have a mission statement or a nice thing that says we're going to be good to the community and it's normally an eagle soaring or some people rowing a boat and all those sorts of things and these are our values. But they actually don't become, that's not culture. What culture is, is articulating why you're in business, what are the values you hold, defining what they mean and then turning them into behaviours so that when you're interviewing someone, because no one says on their CV they spent six months looking at Facebook, they did this, they did that. But when you meet someone, you can clearly tell whether they're a match for your business. So actually identifying behaviours, articulating them, and then then comparing that to the people you meet will actually allow you to really laser in on getting that competency matrix right because it's not just about having the skills, it's about being the right fit. And it's the same whether it's an orchestra, sporting teams, management. You know, people always talk about putting the band back together in business. What they're talking about is putting a management team or a leadership team that they know and trust and share the same values. So actually defining what your behaviours are and how you do that 
actually allows you to re retain, attract the right people because you ultimately, as an SME, should be getting the majority of your staff from word of mouth from your suppliers, clients, and existing staff. If your existing staff aren't actively recruiting or saying positive things about you at the barbecue test, what that means is you don't have a strong culture. But if you have staff that say, it's a great place to work, come and join us, we're growing, that barbecue test saves you on recruiting fees, makes sure like-for-like -like people join the business, and you retain that culture. Because one of the key risks of scaling is how do we retain culture? So as soon as you've got that those behaviours, what you've got is WD-40. Culture is either sand in your engine or it's WD-40 making things move as quick, you know, as, as seamlessly and frictionlessly as possible. So as soon as we get that culture right, what we've got is a much more, you know, the business is more competitive. And the best example of that is Virgin. And Richard Branson has built eight $1 billion companies from scratch, all on the promise of fun, hmm. fun and irreverence. It's the customer base, it's the clients, the people who are virgin are fun people. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point Mark makes. I mean, I remember reading his biography many years ago now, but, yeah, his, his sole premise and his guiding light, if you will, for setting up all those businesses was going into industries that were, in his words, you know, fat, lazy, having a good time, a bit too happy and bloated, if you will, and, you know, coming up with a, with a culture that was uh, innovative, fun, obviously all about the customer and being price competitive as well. Mm. Um, so, you know, that, that, that was his sole premise, if you like, and the, the consistency through setting up all those businesses. Yeah, and I, I love, uh, you, I've read the book as well, and I'm sure most of our listeners have um, too. And, uh, you know, absolutely, that's an example of culture that I think many of us in business, you know, aspire to create. But talking about it from a practical SME perspective, how do we, and I love your barbecue test. I love a good test that we can use. The barbecue test is very mem memorable. I'll be taking that away today. But what's some examples of how, you know, you've talked about creating a culture and values that the staff understand and you know implicit in that is something that you know continues to feed through that uh, you know staff actually feel you know there's some integrity behind not just words on a piece of paper is so often is the case but what are some other tips in relation to SMEs creating this culture in the environment that they're sitting in you know always too many things to do and not enough time to do it in what are some simple easy ways to create this approach of talent capability and culture great question joan and and you you, you know, part of your question there hit the nail on the head first is actually scheduling the time to do it so making sure that you have culture days in the business scheduled so that you can continue to embed that in the business and those behaviors so firstly actually allocating the time because culture drives the human capital of your business you know you ask ceos on podcasts or any ceo around the world what's your most valuable asset and they always say they're people and the follow-up question should be well how much do you invest in those people and if you're a corporate you invest a lot because you you've got the finances and the knowledge to do that in the SME community, sometimes when, especially through COVID, things are a bit tight and we sometimes it's one of the first line items to go. So, yeah. But it's actually more important to do it. So firstly, we have to schedule the time to do it, define those behaviours. So as a real-life example, in our business at Sherlaws, for 20 years, one of our values is fair. And so what that means is all of our joint venture partners are 50-50. We don't do 51-49 deals because that would indicate a requirement for control, which means we don't trust them, which isn't fair. 
because a deal is perfect when both parties feel it's fair and it's energising. If you walk away feeling as though someone's taken advantage of you, at some point you give up. So when both parties feel it's fair, what we then are able to do is have that energy, which drives culture. And in our business, we don't have an annual leave form. So since we started in July 1999, we've never had an annual leave form. And what we say to our team members is take us, as long as you hit your commercial KPIs, take as much time as you need to look after yourself. Sometimes they take less, sometimes they take more. But not having that annual leave form to your point around the piece of paper, is actually a material demonstration of our culture. Because if we had the piece of paper, people might not take as much time as they need. By not having it and not reporting it, we don't. It's, it allows people to be empowered to make their own choices. That is and amazing. I love that, but that is brave. That is a brave step. Um, how, firstly, how many staff do you have? Uh, when we launched that, we went from eight to 88 staff in our first three years. Wow. So we managed that and then we went to 243 in 08, just before the GFC, and then dropped back down to about 126 now over a we've re, we've re, we've followed our own advice and restructured our multiplier. So we now license our IP so we don't have as many internal mm. staff. But that's so, yeah, we're still to this day, we don't have a form. People still, you know, sort of smile at us when we say that, but when they join, they... Like, okay, you, you literally don't have a form. But, but when you say um, you don't have a form, presumably you also mean that you don't track it, as in you don't have any no. maximum number no. of days they can. Okay, have you got any jobs going? I'm on my way over to you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm happy here. What am I saying? But it says, I mean, you know. Come on, those six million billable units. But, you know, that's, that's got to do well on the barbecue. <laughs> We don't charge our clients photocopying, by the way, just a plug here. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> it sounds like you, uh, you you've totally earned the barbecue test there. I love that. That that would uh, definitely get people talking. And the other thing I'll add just quickly about culture, Joe, is, you know, some people can hear that word and think it's, you know, a bit abstract, a bit esoteric. But, I mean, simply defined, it's the way a business does things around around that business. and. You know, to make it more left brain for want of a better term, I mean, there are really good stats and lots of good research to show that obviously the more energised and engaged employees are, the better the customer experience and the higher the profit of those businesses as well. Um, there's a really good book I read many years ago called The Service Profit Chain and it looks at uh, employee engagement, customer experience and what that means to the bottom line of a business. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely crucial and it's the often the starting point of delivering that great customer experience which then flows through to more sales, high profit and ultimately, to the theme of today, a high valuation as well. Yeah, yeah, love it. Okay. And, and just one thing, you know, in, implicit, I'm sorry I keep coming back to the um, the lo- no limits on leave thing. I love it. It's very unique. But I guess implicit in that approach is that you must have very good ways of managing via numbers to know, to be able to track performance and so that st- employees themselves, you know, are held to something other than hours and days. Yeah, and then, and then to Nathan's point, you know, on the left brain side of managing that, what we, uh, you know, educate our, 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 you know, our consultants and coaches and, and folks within the business about is, you know, what are the source-based KPIs or what do they actually need to do as a carrot to ensure they hit the commercial returns so that they've, We've got the flexibility to do that. So understanding 
the, the structure and the amount of activity that required to generate the result. Yeah. But having that outcome focus, and it's great to hear you're based, you know, or six minute. As you know, so <laughs> how our commercial model works is we don't have hourly rates, so we charge retainers and success fees. So what that allows our, our, us to do with our staff, our team internally is we can manage them that way as well. So we're really clear around capacity and utilisation and those sorts of things. We do have that very much fine-tuned, but it's designed so that they can actually, we can we can hit the numbers as a, you know, if clients are happy as a company and our team are happy, you know, the barbecue's good fun, right? So, you know, <laughs> if we keep commercial deliverables, gives that freedom because no one wants to work, you know, till 8pm on a Friday night. That's, yep. you know, that's not fun. Yeah. It's not sustainable. Yeah. Love it. Okay. All right. Well, we, oh gosh, this is too interesting. We've only done step one. <laughs> I, I hope our audience is enjoying this as much as I am and not minding that we're really getting deep into some of these areas. Well, that's it for part one of our three-part series, all about how to increase the multiplier of your business. Now, of course, I get it. We only got to step one. Um, and of course, we have six steps to go and we'll be covering those in the next two episodes of this three-part series. But of course, in today's episode, we really just talked about what the multiplier is, why it is that you would want to increase the multiplier of your business um, and how it can lead to exponential growth in the value of your business. And of course, we tapped into that step one, which was all about talent, capability and culture. I'd love you to come back to parts two and part three. Uh, so in order to do that, all you have to do is hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and you will have the next two episodes delivered straight to your iPhone or favorite podcast player as soon as they are released. And if you would like more information about this topic, or if you'd like to find out how to get in contact with Mark Johnston at Sherlaw's Group or Nathan Williams at Customer Return, then just head to the show notes or head over to our website at talkinglaw.com. .com.au, where you'll be able to not just download a transcript of this episode if you want to read it in more detail, but you'll also there be able to find details of how to contact Mark and Nathan at Sherlaw's Group and at Customer Return. There on our website, you will also find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if our legal eagles can assist you in your business in building on any of these areas that we've talked about today. And most importantly, by helping you build those foundations that make your business solid from a legal perspective in order to set you up for growth into the future. We've got a number of great Great services to help guide businesses through the storms of business and help set them up for growth into the future. We work with clients both big and small and have different services depending on size and complexity. So look, don't hesitate to book an appointment with one of our legal eagles if you'd like to find out how we might be able to assist. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. Please do join us in part two and part three of this three-part series. We're looking forward to continuing the journey with you. Thanks again. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time.
Have you heard of Aspect Legal's partner program? Our partner program is a free program that's open to brokers, corporate advisors, accountants and any other advisors to businesses who are dealing with organisations that are leading into a sale or acquisition of businesses or shares. As part of our partner program, we offer free access to our legal hotline, which is a support line to our specialist lawyers. We also provide a pre-free sale legal review to buyers and sellers where we educate them about the process and timelines from a legal perspective. And the third element that forms part of this partner program is a match-up database that we run where effectively we're able to connect up accountants or brokers or corporate advisors with businesses who are looking to either sell or acquire. So if you're a partner of ours, you go straight into that partner database and where we can see opportunities to provide matchups, then we introduce you. And the final element of our partner program is ongoing education in the form of seminars, webinars and meetups. And that's something new that we're introducing into the partner program in early 2020. So if you're not a partner, then all you need to do to become a partner is just pop us an email at partners at aspectlegal.com au and just simply say in your subject column, I want to become a partner. It's as easy as that to get immediate access to our free legal hotline and all of those other resources. We look forward to having you on board as a partner. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.